Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Digest and Invest, the podcast brought to you by eToro. I'm Josh Gilbert, our market analyst based in Sydney, Australia, and I'm joined today by Ben Laidler, our global market strategist. Good to have you with us today, Ben. How are you? Hey, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, greetings from sunny London. Yeah, good. Good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. As, as some of you might have already noticed, Sam isn't with us today. He's our usually our lovely host who, who greets you all in. Um, he's a little under the weather, so I'll be taking the lead this week and we'll be getting some some insights from Ben. Um, so we'll, look, we'll, we'll, we'll jump straight in. Ben, we're, we're coming to now to the end of you know, earnings season in the US, pretty much. I think most names are wrapping up. We obviously have GME um, on, I think, Wednesday night, Thursday morning here in Australia. But you know, what have you made of, of the sort of Q2 earnings season so far? You know, by all accounts, we've seen some pretty huge earnings growth and beats and some strong you know, guidance issued by most. What, what's, what's been your take on it? Yeah, right. I mean, firstly, it's just been a huge earnings season, right? I mean, just to throw a bunch of numbers at you to, to put it in perspective. So in the US, um, we were expecting earnings growth of something like 60%, which would have been fantastic. Uh, we got 95 um, and Europe was even more than that. Europe came in at over 150%. So, uh, I mean, the numbers just huge everywhere you look and much, much better than expected. I mean, not, not even, you know, not two to 3% better, but, you know, 30, 40% uh, better. So that's one of the biggest um, sort of positive earnings surprises we've ever seen. Um, and, you know, company sales, you know, whether it's in US or Europe, you know, really led the way. They were up 25%. And that's really what allowed those earnings to really rebound profit margins, you know, now at record levels in, 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 in the US and Europe. So, you know, all that's great. Um, but, you know, secondly, I, I don't think we're done. Right. And I think this is what continues to sort of push markets higher. Um, you know, analysts, you know, after that you know, quarter like that have sort of been looking again at their profit forecasts, you know, realizing they're too low uh, and, and, and sort of pushing them up. And, you know, companies have been more confident about, you know, getting out there, talking to investors and basically saying, you know, business is better than we than we thought it was. So, you know, both those trends, you know, very positive uh, and they're continuing. And, um, you know, just just to put some numbers on that. Right. I mean, the the average analyst for the U.S. next year is looking for less than 10 percent earnings growth. Right. And we've just had 95. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that number is far too low. And, um you know, we're expecting basically twice that for next year. Uh, and, and just, you know, why is this all this important? Remember, there's only, you know, there's only two ways to make money in markets, right? Either companies make more money or investors are prepared to pay more uh, money for those profits. So, you know, this is one of the big drivers of markets and it's been very positive and I think it continues to be, um, you know, very positive. And it, as I say, it's, you know, probably the biggest pillar of, you know, this market going higher from here. Yeah, and it's interesting. You obviously said that you know the the outlook for from analysts is only ten percent growth. Yet we obviously had ninety percent growth compared to sixty percent expected. So I wonder if they go full circle and then you know lift expectations much higher. And because obviously what we tend to see now quite frequently is earnings beats, right? It just seems to sort of be the the continuous thing. So I wonder if 
they do go full swing and maybe you know over egg their earnings expectations but it doesn't seem that you know i thought that might be the case right where they go completely the other end and you know put estimates up much higher but it doesn't seem like they're doing that and and you know that process is a positive process right i mean you know it may all come to a horrible end uh, if they you know if they do take them up you know too far but mm-hmm. getting from a to b um, it should be a very positive process for markets yeah. Right. I mean, that basically means that for the same valuation level for, you know, US is on 21 times earnings, which is quite high. For that same valuation level, you know, you can justify market being being higher if you know earnings end up being 20 percent higher than expected. Then the market can be 20 percent higher than you, know, you were initially expecting. So, uh, you know, point taken. But I think that's hopefully a problem for the end of next year rather yeah. than for, you know, rather than for right now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so sort of switching back to sort of last week, we had some pretty weak jobs data on Friday from the non-farm payrolls, which means that we're, we're probably likely to see the Fed um, sort of delay their sort of tapering, um, a word that we've heard sort of quite a lot recently. And if, you know, we've seen obviously a huge amount of retail investors come into the market recently. So a lot of people might be wondering what that is. So could you just break down for our listeners, you know, what I mean by that and what is the impact likely to be on the markets uh, for that? Right. Yes. You've given me the hard job because you don't want to do it. Uh, (laughs) So, so, I mean, let me take the pay, let me take the easy bit first. I mean, payrolls on Friday in the U S I mean, U S jobs report uh, shocking miss, right? I mean, we went from over 1 million new jobs being created the month before to, you know, less than a quarter of that next. Um, you know, and the culprit was, you know, I think just all the disruptions being caused by the sort of virus third wave, you know, in, in the US of so that sort of reopening and sort of back to school, you know, rehiring sort of process. You know, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, I def- I put it in the sort of one-off sort of camp, you know, for now. And I, I do think the sort of broader data is telling you that that sort of growth recovery is, um, is, is you know, remains very on track. Um, so on the Fed, um, you know, just just I guess the the two second history lesson here, right? You know, why do we care about the Fed? You know, they've just cut interest rates to zero uh, at the um, you know during during the pandemic, which we've basically only ever seen once before. So super low interest rates, and they did another thing. They started buying um, a lot of bonds, so 120 billion dollars of, um, of, of of bonds a month to keep bond yields low. You know, if they're pushing up the price by buying lots of bonds, then that you know brings down the bond yield. And bond yield, low bond yields, you know, help a lot of people. You know, it makes it's easier for companies to go out and borrow money and keep themselves alive through through the through the crisis. Um, you know, your your mortgage is cheaper, your your credit card rates are lower. So you know, low bond yields help a lot of people, and that's why the Fed is, um, you know, been working very hard to, to keep bond yields, uh, you know, low. But the issue they have now is, you know, the economy is recovering, and you know, we're no longer in the sort of depth of crisis we were in. So that sort of amount of support is, you know, increasingly unnecessary. So what tapering refers to is like stage one of this process of how the Fed begins to provide less support to uh, the economy. And that is, you know, they, they start buying less of these bonds. So they take those purchases from 120 billion uh, to, to zero. Um, they probably start that process later this year and they probably get to zero by, you know, mid to end of next year. Uh, as you say, I mean, things like this jobs report and these question marks over just, you know, how quick is the recovery coming through just pushes that decision sort of back a little bit. Um, but that sort of tapering up, buying less bonds is only stage one. Stage two, you know, when they're finished there and, and assuming the economy is still sort of rebounding and everything's on track, stage two is they then start raising uh, interest rates um, as, as, as well. So, you know, this is a very gradual uh, process. And I think what's important for everyone to understand is, you know, this is all happening for the right reasons. You know, they wouldn't be doing this if economies and companies, you know, couldn't handle it, A. And B, 
you know, they're, they're not absolutely surprise anybody right and, and we've had instances in the past where you know the fed has you know surprised markets this time i don't think that's going to happen i mean you know we've sort of got bored of talking about it and they haven't even started yet um so i think this process is going to be very slow very gradual uh, it shouldn't destabilize markets and again it's you know it's happening for the right reasons um because you know as we just talked about i mean you know um economies are reopening and corporate earnings are um are, are absolutely booming yeah and uh you mentioned uh, i gave you the difficult job and that's why i let you have that job there because you explained it very very well so um but yeah you know exactly that and you know i think we, we got some information from you yesterday which essentially was talking about you know biden is gonna have to sort of decide soon on on choosing or um you know a new chair and or reappointing jerome powell so there's a lot to sort of contend with and you know, on that sort of subject of, you know, people and, and you know, lots of things to contend with. Investors have, have sort of got quite a bit to contend with right now. We've obviously got, you know, inflation has been running sort of red hot. We obviously just discussed it then, but we've obviously got the potential tapering coming from the Fed at, at some point. We've seen one of the longest positive runs from the S&P 500 without a sort of a significant, you know, 5% pullback that we've sort of, you know, ever seen. And then you discuss it there, the possibility of rising bond yields and obviously rates. So in this market, how, how can investors make their next move? And, you know, what asset classes, areas of the market should they be looking at um, or adding to their watch list? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've sort of laid it out. I mean, I guess the way I sort of think about it is I, I think this market is climbing a wall of worry. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've just given us five or six things to worry about. Um, you know, I'm reasonably bullish on the outlook, and I think we're going to worry less about those things over time. And as we become sort of less concerned, that's going to give the oxygen, if you like, for this market uh, and these earnings just to continue to, to, to track higher. So, you know, we've got an S&P 500 target for next year of over 5,000. So, you know, that's sort of 10% upside from here. So, you know, we're still positive. And, and simplistically, I just think that growth outlook we've been talking about remains very strong. Um, and, and bond yields, you know, they're going to go up a bit, but they're going to stay very low. Um, you know, bond yields now are basically a quarter, nearly a quarter of what they were coming out of the last recession. So even if they go up a bit, I still are going to be very low. And that supports high valuations. So, you know, good growth, high valuations. You know, I think that's good for equities. Um, you know, one. Two, having said all that, you know, 10% upside from here, you know, I think investors have maybe got a bit greedy, right? We've just had, we've had 20% so far just this year and the, and the year isn't even closed yet. Um, and we've obviously had a couple of very good years. So, um, you know, I, I, and, and there are, you know, definitely risks out there. And, you know, this would be, if we do get 10% next year, that would be sort of an unprecedented fourth year in a row of strong sort of equity returns. You've only ever seen a streak like that once before in the last 50 odd years. So, I mean, just to give you a sense as to how, um, you know, how unprecedented, uh, how unprecedented it is. So I guess, you know, I, to, to, to finally answer your question, what I would say is, you know, we're encouraging people to stay invested in equities. I mean, we're still you know, pretty bullish on equities, but to um, just check that you're not carrying more risk than you're comfortable with and really to look at sort of options to sort of lower your risk and, and diversify within equities. And, and basically we come up with three and we published them in the weekly uh, sort of this week. One, um, sort of within tech, the sort of, preferring the more sort of defensive end of tech, so the sort of fangs, rather than, um, you know, these sort of super growth um, stocks with sort of limited earnings. I mean, so the fangs, you know, have decent growth, have you know, really high profit margins, you know, lots of cash flow, very strong balance sheets, you know, really allow them to sort of weather sort of any storms, but still give you exposure to sort of those secular sort of tech drivers. 
Um, you know, some cheaper segments of the market. I mean, valuations are quite high. I think they stay high, but, you know, there's the risk that they come down. It's one of the bigger risks out there. Um, but, you know, financials is the cheapest sector in the market right now, and we, and we quite like it. You know, overseas equities relative to the U.S., you know, 30 40%, you know, valuation discount, one of the biggest we've ever seen. So, again, um, I think there's, you know, that's sort of an attractive end of, um, you know, to, to reduce some of your risks. And then, you know, th there are some sort of equity themes, um, you know, a lot of people looking to generate sort of equity income, right? Bond yields are super low. So what do you do? Uh, so I think high, some high dividend yields, equity themes are, are interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people own, you know, just a lot of, uh, sort of U.S. large caps. So maybe you should look at sort of mid cap, maybe diversify a little bit by size. Uh, and then the other one is, is sort of quality, uh, right? Lower those portfolio risks by owning sort of higher quality group of companies. Um, there, there are a bunch of sort of equity themes um you know that focus more on quality companies and what's interesting about some of those themes if you look at how they performed in those sort of worst case scenarios in the sort of you know the tech crash in 2000 2001 or the global financial crisis you know 08 09 they they significantly outperformed broader equity portfolios so you know i, I think you know it's always it's always worth just uh, you know kicking the tires in your portfolio um and especially now when we've just done so well uh, and we've had so little volatility, you know, don't get lulled into a sort of false sense of security that this is how markets are meant to work. You know, they're not. They don't go up forever with no volatility. Mm -hmm. So this is a perfect opportunity just to kick the tires. And there are ways to sort of keep exposure to the equity story that we're still quite positive on, but to, um, you know, maybe reduce some of the risks and, um, and become a little bit more diversified. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of that is, is stripping it back to basics, isn't it? You know, going back to those, you know, financials, the big caps and trying not to sort of overlook those, those bigger cap names that, like you say, can sometimes be sort of right in front of you. So look, there's some great advice there, Ben. And, um, you know, if you haven't already got those sort of asset classes or sectors in your watch list, then that's something to, to definitely get in there and add. So Ben, we, we usually touch on crypto towards the end of the podcast. Um, so it's been a bit of a crazy week already for Bitcoin. And uh, when we filmed this, it's, uh, it's only sort of Wednesday, really. So, you know, Bitcoin broke 50K again at the start of the week. Um, looked like it was sort of moving quite well. Ethereum um, was sort of moving above 4,000, teasing a new all-time high. But then yesterday, um, sort of all came tumbling down. El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as sort of legal tender. And we were seeing Bitcoin being used in you know, Starbucks and McDonald's sort of, so that the first of its kind really. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's sort of spun around and, and markets have, have sort of saw red. What have you made of sort of the recent move from crypto? And, you know, we, we spoke a little bit there about diversification and I want to just maybe get a bit of a sense of an idea from you of how investors can make use of crypto assets in their portfolios as a way of also diversifying. Yeah. So, you know, Bitcoin and crypto have just shown you that sort of volatility, you know, for better or for worse, comes from the territory, right? I mean, I think we've had, was it 15 pullbacks? Or, you know, pullbacks is not a strong enough word, you know, 15, you know, big price corrections of, you know, approximately 50% in the last, uh, in, in the last sort of 15 years. Uh, in equities, you haven't had a single one, right? Yeah. So just to compare, you know, we were talking about equities just before how little volatility they've been. I mean, you know, it's part of the territory of the crypto. And I think, you know, we've seen a little bit of that, um, you know, recently. Um, but I think, you know, it's always useful just to take half a step back, right? I mean, you know, I, I have no idea what's happening to crypto, you know, tomorrow, next week, you know, next month. But I think longer term, I think what you're clearly seeing um, and what I think the next up, you know, driver is, is just this broadening institutional adoption uh, of, of, of Bitcoin. Um, and, and I think that's, um, you know, barely scratched the surface. And I think, you know, what's attracting 
and what and what will force institutions to to, to buy Bitcoin. And I think this is you know, relevant to the broader users um, or, or you know broader listeners here. Is just these very high risk adjusted returns. So even if you adjust, you know th- these returns for this super high volatility we just talked about, um, it's still you know a very attractive proposition. And secondly, uh, is the very low relationship with other assets. So, you know, this so-called correlation, you know, if equities go up, crypto tends to go down. If crypto goes up, equities go down. I mean, the fact that it moves, that it doesn't move together uh, is very attractive when you're thinking about creating this sort of diversified sort of all-weather portfolio that can sort of, you know, um, do, do well at all times. And though it's that combination that makes crypto just, um, you know, just, just, just absolutely fascinating. And, you know, and we haven't even got on to, you know, the broader use case. I mean, we've just had this this boom in NFTs, which is you know helping crypto. We haven't even got on to, you know, is an inflation hedge. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons to own um, uh, that you know Bitcoin and crypto. You know, it could be attractive longer term. But you know, I'm very focused on just this institutional adoption story and the fact that um, that adoption is sort of inevitable. And the reasons for that, I think, are you know are, are useful for everybody. Just you know, even with the volatility, the returns have been very good, and and these and these low, low correlations, I think, increasingly make it part of um, just a you know a plain vanilla you know diversified portfolio across across different assets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it never fails to give us something to talk about anywhere at the very least. So that's always exciting. But look, to finish up, Ben, um, Sam usually hits me with something either for quick fire questions or, you know, he makes me guess, you know, how much a company sold for. But what we're going to do is I'm going to just, you know, ping some quick fire questions, um, you know, basically two names and you just choose one. Um, I'll say two assets and you can say which one you prefer right now. Um, are you up for that? Sure. Give it a go. I mean, I hope we're not going to do this again in six months' time and you're going to tell me that I got them all wrong. (laughs) I've got that. No, don't worry. Sam has a podcast of me talking about my predictions for the end of the year and uh, whether the price is going to be higher or lower. So he's already got me me there. So... Okay, look, we'll, we'll get we'll get going. Um, As I say, there's only about five or six here anyway, so it's nice and easy. So the S&P 500 or NASDAQ? <laughs> Starting with the easy one. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably not going to make any uh, uh, too many converts here. I'm going to say S&P because I think we stop worrying. We worry a little bit less about the virus, and that gives S&P room to recover some of the ground it's lost to NASDAQ recently. Yeah. Uh, the US or Europe? Uh, I have a decade of history that tells me I'm wrong here, but I think Europe. I think uh, I, I think you know with the growth with the growth about to rebound. Uh, I think Europe is much more sensitive to that. You know, lots of cyclicals, much cheaper market. I I, I go with Europe, but again, you know, there's a decade of history that tells me I might be wrong. Okay, well th- that you might have answered the second or the next question. Um, value or growth? Yeah, I think to be consistent with the last two answers, I would have to say value. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, we, I might I might get you here, but I might not. Uh, gold or Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, difficult not to say Bitcoin after mm. the uh, after this podcast. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Tesla or Volkswagen? Oh yeah, making more friends here. Uh, Volkswagen. Okay. Yeah. Second nice. largest car market maker in the world. Six times PE, four percent dividend yield. I, I I like the risk reward on that. Yeah, biggest. Um, obviously, one of the biggest manufacturers in Europe as well. And obviously, going up against Tesla, Europe is the biggest market for EVs. So that makes sense. And the last one, and um, this would be an interesting one: uh, Amazon or Alibaba. Yeah, I'd have to go with the everything store on that one. Uh, so Amazon, I, I think. Um, 
I think China's a little bit of a value trap right now. I think it looks very cheap, but I don't I don't think we really know where or how this tech crackdown ends. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a long-term opportunity in China. I'm just not sure. Uh, uh, I think Amazon probably does better for now. There we go. There it is. Well, look, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Um, thank you, everyone, for, for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can learn more about the markets by visiting our eToro Academy. Uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, um, hopefully Sam's back with us. Um, but thanks a lot for joining, and Ben, thanks for, for being with us as well. Thanks for having me. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Take care. You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com. <laughs>